Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. The words we speak have the power of life and death. We're going to look at that today. And we're looking at a whole series called Uncommon Sense. We're in our final day. Get your notes, get your apps, get your Bible. Take your, your neighbor's notes away from them. If, they, if you don't have it, you know, share. Whatever we need to do, this is going to be a great message, and I want you to be a part of it. And make sure you write down what I'm going to share with you, because this is going to be applicable and practical in every dimension of our lives. Because the words we speak have power for life or they have power for death. And we're going to dive in a little bit deeper and show you how that works. While you're getting ready to go, let me tell you a bit of a story. I was in my second year of Bible college. We're in the second semester getting ready for the graduation exercises that year. And it was a Wednesday morning, and I vividly remember this Wednesday. There are certain days I cannot remember. Anybody been to college? Many days you forget, right? Work with me. Interact. Okay, thank you. I just want to make sure you're with me on this. Many, many days, you just kind of a blur. They come and they go, and you remember you were in college. But this day was vivid in my mind. I'll tell you why. It was a Wednesday. It was a Wednesday morning. And on Wednesday morning, we did our chapel. That's when all of the faculty and the students would come together, and we'd have a chapel together. And we'd do worship just like we did here, and somebody would bring a message, and we'd be all inspired and ready to go. But right after chapel, every Wednesday morning, there was a very special gathering for the student body. It was called choir rehearsal. This was the era, believe it or not, this was the era when the entire student body was required to attend choir practice, and we at the graduation exercises would get up and give our best rendition of Handel's Messiah, the Hallelujah Course. So everybody in the college, you can imagine, just think you're in college and they tell you this is what you signed up for, you're going to sing. Those that are musically inclined, they didn't mind this. Those who were not musically gifted, they dreaded this. And those that were kind of indifferent, they wondered, why are we doing this? And so absenteeism in choir rehearsal was on the rise. And it had come to the attention of our president that a few were missing. So we were all in chapel together, and we were informed, before you leave, our president has a word he would like to share with us. So of course, we revere our president, right? You're, I mean, he's your college president. He's the guy that holds power over life and death in your life. So you're going, yeah, I want to hear from the president. And he makes his way up. And this man was big. He had the stature that was larger than life and he just carried himself. When he walked into a room, you go, whoa, the president just entered the room. He walked down, made his way up, stood behind the podium, <clears throat> cleared his throat. And he said, it has come to my attention that absenteeism is on the rise at choir practice. And we're all like, not me, not me. I mean, everybody's looking. And he goes, I want you to know that it is mandatory for all students to participate in the choir. All will remain in this room today and attend the choir practice. You could have heard a pin drop in that room. I mean, he put the fear of God. It was like the riot police were outside ready to bust into that room. And we're sitting there listening and going, we're singing today. He stepped off the podium made his way out of the chapel, and he chose to go this way, which happened to be the section that I was seated in. And he's in full stride, headed toward the back door, and a thought occurred to me. 
Some thoughts should never be vocalized. And as he was headed towards the back door, he's in full stride. I'm there with my friends. And I looked over and I said, where do you think you're going? Yeah. I did. And I'm here today to tell you about the story. He stopped mid-stride and just did this. All my friends sort of moved down the road. Fairweather friends, I'm telling you. They were out. They were just going, he's gone. I had two more years to go yet. He's out. And he just glared at me. And he said, enjoy your choir. And he walked out. And I thought, oh, what was I thinking? Momentary lapse in mentality. I'm a young adult. No, I was making up excuses. I just, I blurted out what was on my mind. And all my friends are like, what were you thinking? That's why Proverbs said there's more hope for a fool than a person who speaks without thinking. I obviously needed some common sense. I could have used my own series way, way, way back then. And so we all got ready to go, and they were just mortified at what I had just done. Question, have you ever spoken words that you regretted speaking in the moment? We're all in church here. Come on, let's do this together. Yes, we have. We've all been guilty of doing this. We either misspoke or we spoke when we knew we shouldn't have or we typed or we tweeted or we texted. We did something that we regret and we put those words out there. And in a stroke of brilliance, here's what Solomon does to his son. He goes, you know, you can learn wisdom by listening to somebody or you can learn wisdom by watching somebody else's mistake. And he tells his son, look, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it are going to eat its fruit. This is like poetic brilliance. He's telling him, if you want to learn something about life, get it right now. What you speak, when your words go out, they're out there. So choose words that are either going to bring life or you're going to choose words that are going to bring death. And he wants his son, he wants to spare his son any kind of agony that he experienced growing up. And so we're going to learn together today about the power of life and death. Now, in preparing my messages, I often use my laptop or my computer, and I'll be working on Word, and it's just my manuscript, and I'm putting it together. And oftentimes, when I do a word check, the spell checker goes through, and it underlines the word that it doesn't recognize. You following me? Get a little dash underneath there, and it goes, what were you thinking when you wrote this word? That doesn't talk to you, but that's what I think it said to me. And it'll underline it, and you can right-click on it, and it'll bring up this option. It'll say, do you want to ignore this word as if you intentionally misspelt it? And sometimes it doesn't recognize names, and it'll do that. And then it gives another option. Or would you like to add this word to your dictionary? Here's what I want to do with us today. I want to add some life-giving words to your dictionary. I want you to think about your life dictionary, and I'm going to give you three sets of life-giving words that all of us should have because they're going to change our lives. You, you good for this? All right, let's go. Get into your notes, get them out, and let's take a few together. Number one, write it down. We need to add to our life dictionary. We need to choose words that are going to inspire vision. Choose words that inspire vision. Because if the tongue really has the power of life and death, that means that you have, we have, and I have the ability then to choose whether I want to ignite into flame the vision and the hope of another person, or I want to crush and see their countenance just diminished by the words that I speak. Let me go back to the story for a moment. Bible college. What was I thinking? I wasn't. That was very clear at the time. Aren't you glad I've grown up just a wee wee little bit? I, I just it blurted it out in that moment. So we're in classes later that day. It's in the afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, and an announcement goes over the PA system. Would Doug Ryan please report to the president's office? Yeah. 
yeah, I know that feeling. So I called my friends together. You know the ones. I called them together. We had a prayer meeting. Paul did that when he was going to say goodbye to people that he'd never see again. So I said, let's, we shed a few tears. I wrote out my will. I said, I don't have a lot, but you know, whatever there is, divide it up and share it with everybody. You may never see me again. I'm going to go see the president. I went, made my way over to the president's office over at the faculty building. And I went to his office and his executive assistant said, yeah, he's waiting for you. Just go knock on the door. So I go up to the door and I go in knock on the door, and with the most sober voice, he said, come in. And I pushed that door open. Now picture this. The president is sitting in his office directly in front of me. He's seated behind a huge, large executive wooden desk. You know the desks? It just like swallows the room up. And he's behind it, and in front of it are two leather armchairs that any guest would come in and sit in. So he said, Doug, come in. Have a seat in the chair. So I went over and I sat down in one of those chairs. And you know the chair? It starts to swallow you up. (laughs) Until you're like this. Like, if it's not bad enough, I've already been called to the president's office. Now I'm looking up at him thinking, this man holds the power of my future in his hand. And I had no idea what was about to come. I'll never forget it. He began to speak. He said, Doug, you have an incredible gift. You have the gift of leadership. People will follow you. They'll imitate your life. They will choose to do what you want to do. But you have to steward the gift wisely. So it's your gift. Use it well. Then we went on with a little bit of a reprimand about giving proper respect when respect is due, and we had that. And I remember that as well. And and when I walked out of that environment, I went, wow. He could have just crushed me in that moment. And we've all experienced moments like that. He could have chosen words where he could have berated me, belittled me. He could have brought me right back down to the side, just stripped me right down and said, you need to do, and we've been there. But he didn't. He chose to see in that moment the potential of a gift that could be released if it was properly nurtured. And he inspired vision inside of me. And then he gave me my little reprimand, which is the way the Bible always tends to do things well. And he said, and you can go. And I was walking out of his office, and I thought, oh, I can go get my will and rip it up. I'm good now. And I was walking out of his office, and as I got to the door, he said, oh, Doug, by the way. And I thought, uh-oh, so there's a condition. And I turned around, and when I turned around, I looked at him, and he winked, and he said, that was really funny this morning. <laughs> I go, I love this man. He's got the same sense of humor that I've got. But I'm not going to use it for the next two years while he's my president. So, see, we have this power. All of us have this power, and we forget this. We have the power to inspire vision in people. We can stir up gifts inside of people. We can help them see that they can achieve more than they ever dreamed possible. Mom and Dad, you have children that are yours to steward, not to control not to abuse, not to restrain. They're yours to steward and you can speak into their lives. We have small groups and growth groups that we get to encourage and build people up. We can use words that will transform people and not just change their countenance. We can change the trajectory of their lives. The words you use are powerful. That's why Solomon said to his son, do you realize when you speak, those words are gone. They're out there. So choose words that you're going to really appreciate. Choose words that are going to produce life because those life-giving words will always come back. Here's what it says, Proverbs 16, 23. A wise person's heart controls his speech and what he says will help others. 
That we don't just speak impulsively and radically. We speak intentionally and clearly and directly so that we can help other people grow. We see it in the life of Jesus. Jesus was with his disciples. They were up in the north of Galilee at Caesarea Philippi. And he had them all together. And he goes, hey, as I'm teaching you guys, I've got a question for you. And he asked a very profound, insightful question. He goes, what are people, watch this, what are they saying about me? Jesus was always interested in words. What are they saying about me? He wanted to know what, not just what they're thinking, what are the actual words? Because when the words go out, it's influencing a generation of people. So what are they saying about me? So they're responding, well, some say maybe you're John the Baptist that came back from the dead, or maybe you're this, or maybe you're that. And, and he goes, okay, good. He goes, what about you? That sobered everybody up. Who do you say? See, he wants to know. That's why the Bible talks about the confession of our mouth. Not what you're just thinking. Who do you say that I am? And Peter just, wow, just like that. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus looks at Peter and goes, blessed are you, Simon. Freaked him out a bit. He's like, what? I'm, I'm blessed? Why? Blessed are you because you didn't come up with that on your own. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. He goes, so what's so significant about that? Jesus inspired Peter in that moment because Peter, just like us, often wonders if we hear from God. And he said, you heard from God. You had a direct access to the Father's thought and His heart right there. And what you just shared, you couldn't come up with that on your own. That was God speaking to you. And you shared that. And Peter, on that rock, I'm going to build my church. You know what's so powerful about this for me? Not just the moment where he's inspiring these disciples, but when he's telling Peter on that statement, I'm going to build my church. And what he didn't say to Peter is, oh, by the way, you're going to abandon me. You're going to betray me. You're going to wander off. You're going to be disillusioned. You're going to go back to fishing. He didn't put any of that in there, though. He knew it was going to happen. He chose to inspire vision in that man. And even though all the other events were going to be a part of the life journey, Jesus would always speak words that would bring life and health. And I love that because it reminds all of us that we have words and we have the power of words that we get to choose what we're going to do with them. So here's a question I want to leave with you today. Who is the person in your life that you can immediately think about and go, they spoke life to me. Got somebody? Who's that person? Have you told them that? Have you told them how much they changed your life because they dared to believe in you and speak into your world? We need to do that. We need to let each other know that when we speak life into each other, that we appreciate that and we receive that. I think that's one of the things that we're really missing. Here's the next question I need you to take away today. Who are you speaking life into? Who are you inspiring with your words of vision? Who are you intentionally identifying and saying, let me encourage you? And we all can do this. You know this, right? Even today, we can do this together. In fact, before we leave, when you're leaving this place, you can stop. We have ushers at service. Ushers, thank you, by the way. Week after week after week, you serve us in this room and you serve communion to us. And we can take a moment and passing by an usher, we can stop and shake their hand and go, thank you for making sure that my experience in church today was the best that it could possibly be. Thank you for helping me find a chair. Thank you for serving me communion. Did you know when you say thank you, you're actually inspiring vision? You're building the other person up? And if you want to have a really radical experience, say it to the kids' workers, because you know what that's like. You know your own kids. That's why you left them there. <laughs> right? That's why they're there now. So when you picked those kids up, God bless you people. Every week you do this for an hour, you give me sanity back. I know, you've got the most perfect child in the world. 
No, we all want to hand them off for a little while, right? Come on, we're in church. Yes, you do. But one of the things we do need to do is express appreciation, not just to say thank you for the sake of thank you, but to inspire vision on somebody who believes it's their gift and their calling to serve in that capacity because they believe that God's wired them up to be able to do that. We can all help people inspire vision together, and I think it's a great thing for us to do. Ephesians 4, 29, it says this, Do not use harmful words, but only helpful words. The kind that build up and provide what is needed so that what you say will do good to those who hear you. Wouldn't it be remarkable if everybody who ever heard somebody from Portico said, you know the thing that's in common about all of them? They only say things that build people up. They only inspire vision in other people. That's how Portico is known. Let's be that kind of church, all right? <laughs> that, that, that was, I gave you a gift. Let's be that kind of church, all right? All right. Some of you are going like, oh, that's a lot of work, Doug. I'll start with the usher. Okay, start with the usher. Let's do it. Number two, let me give you some more. Another set of words for your life dictionary. Number two, choose words that will nurture healing. Nurture healing. It's one thing to be able to inspire a vision, and by that I mean to infuse excitement and really develop another person. But then we need to also choose words that will nurture healing because most of us are the walking wounded. And I said most of us because I'm included. We have at times been wounded by, harmed by, and some have this almost irreparable damage that have been caused by words, misspoken words, and we carry that and it haunts us and we try to reconcile and deal with it, but we don't know what to do with it. And so Solomon reminds his son that there's a way to handle this and it's when we choose to speak words that will nurture healing in others. I don't remember the first time I heard this little rhyme, but I've never forgotten it. I think you probably know it too. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but... There you go. Words or names. Whatever you wanted in there, words or names will never hurt you. Who came up with that stuff? Now, I know what it was all about. It was meant that when you're being taunted by little kids, that you shouldn't retaliate and bully because, hey, you know, sticks and stones, they will break your bones, but you can get over the name. Here's the reality. We've all been hurt by words and names. And we let those things sink deep into our spirit and into our psyche, and then we struggle with it through life. And there are many of us, and I would say most of us would prefer to have a broken arm because it will heal. But the wounds of the Word are there. And so Solomon speaks to his son, and he goes, that's where death comes, right there. And you have this option. You can speak the power of life in. Certain words trigger these memories, haunting memories. If you're the victim, you can hear a word. It'll take you right back into the context, the situation, the smell, the experience, the phrase, the tone, and your stomach begins to churn because you have still lived inside of that pain and you haven't got rid of it. If you're the perpetrator, you still think about that moment or those moments when you spoke words and you knew you could never get them back again. And you deeply regret saying them, but you don't know how to step through that pain into restoration. And so you hope that time will heal all wounds. And I'm here to tell you, time does not heal all wounds. We come up with wonderful sayings just to make ourselves feel better. It doesn't matter how long the clock ticks, the pain is still there. Proverbs 12, 18, it says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, and the tongue of the wise will bring healing. It's true, John chapter 8 Jesus was teaching the crowds, group of people, broke through the crowd, got into the middle, religious elite, caught a woman in the act of adultery, threw her in front of Jesus, and said, Jesus, what do you say? Watch those words. What do you say we should do with her? 
They wanted to know, where do you fall in this religious idealism? Are you going to judge her? Because that's what the law says we should do. What do you say we should do? So Jesus there, looking at the crowd, looking at the group in front of him, looking at the woman wisely, takes a moment, and then he speaks back to them. And he said, okay, before I speak, though, those of you that are without sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. And if you're new to the Bible, the Bible tells us that from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they began to walk away until it was just the woman and Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Interesting, the word condemn. And she said, no. And then he spoke and he said, neither do I. Neither do I. Now go and sin no more. Do you know the power of when Jesus said, neither do I, and go and sin no more? How many of us have waited for that reality to touch our spirit, to feel free of condemnation and accusation and pain that's been inflicted by others? Now, there's something in the text that I hadn't really observed in depth before, but John records that when Jesus was speaking to this woman, and he said, neither do I, go and sin no more, John says, there's still a crowd of people around. The accusers were gone. They had all left. But the bigger crowd that Jesus had been teaching, they were still there. And watch, you see, crowds love where activity and conflict occur. Crowds are drawn to watch and to be observers. That's the moments we talked about it before, rhubarb, rhubarb. They love to murmur about things. And I got thinking, what would the crowd have been doing in this moment when Jesus was speaking to the woman? Do you ever think about this? Pulling out their iPads and their iPhones. Okay, tablets. And they were pulling them out. I wonder if they had access to social media, what they would have put on social media that day. I think they maybe lit up social media going, Jesus condones adultery. Jesus, hashtag, Jesus breaks the law. Instagram, me with Jesus in background and Jesus breaking the law. I've said it before, I want to say it again, and I hope we catch this. I believe we can start a social media revolution where the words we speak nurture healing, not death. That the words that we choose to type, the pictures and images that we choose to post, the way we choose to interact will actually be words that would nurture healing in other people. There are enough people calling everybody else down and putting the snide remarks up. We don't need to go there. But as followers of Jesus, we can be the ones that could choose to speak in and to defend and to build up and to encourage. And so I look at Scripture and I see the power of what Solomon teaches his son. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 4. It says, kind words are a good medicine, but deceitful words can really hurt. The power of being able to speak in and bring a kind word into a context where you see the person desperately in need of hope and forgiveness and you get to speak those words. How powerful is that? Proverbs 17, 9, it says, whoever forgives an offense seeks love, but whoever keeps bringing up the issue separates even the closest of friends. We have this ability. God has given us wonderful ability that we can use language and speech and text and type, that we can choose to bring life to people. There's a story in the Old Testament, two brothers. You know what brothers are like, right? I do. I got a few of them that I can talk about. But sibling, sibling rivalry and challenges. Two brothers, Jacob and Esau, from the outset, these boys were having a challenge. And as they grew up, it was a little bit of who was going to get dad's approval and who was going to get mom's approval. And it seemed they jostled back and forth all the way through. And one day, mom goes to the younger one and says to Jacob, hey, why don't you, uh, 
why don't you go con your dad? I'm not sure she used those words, but basically, why don't you go con your dad and get a handle on that inheritance before your older brother gets the blessing? He thought, why not? That's a great idea. So Jacob did everything mom said. See, it was mom's fault all along. So if you're seeing a therapist right now, it's mom's fault, right? I'm kidding, mom, if you're watching. So anyhow, Jacob does what mom says, and he goes off, and he prepares a a meal for his dad, and then he waits to get the fatherly blessing, and he receives the blessing. When his older brother Esau comes home, he's livid. He is tick. He's ready for blood. Not just the animal he killed. He wants his brother's blood, and Jacob has to flee for his life. Everybody following the story so far? So he heads off to Uncle Laban's house where things turn out pretty good for him. He ends up with a couple of wives. He ends up with a lot of prosperity. But there's something in his heart that's never left him. When he left his brother, they left on the wrong terms. And he knew that he could never go home on the same terms. And this brings us right back to time heals all wounds. It doesn't. So Jacob knew that the day was coming that he wanted to go home. And so what does he do? He wants to mitigate the circumstances. He's hoping that he can appease the wrath and the anger of his brother. And so he takes all of his possessions and he puts little caravans in front of him. And he's at the very back and real bold man, right? Send the kids up front and let the brother see the kids. And then you come along in the back. And he sends these caravans, little envoys, and there's gifts for his brother. And he's trying to appease and hope that his brother will love the gifts that he's receiving. And his brother sees these convoys and these caravans. He goes, whose are they? What is this all about? Oh, they're from your brother Jacob. He's sending a gift to you. He's looking forward to seeing you. The next one, they're from your brother Jacob. He's really looking forward. And he's hoping that this is going to work. But Esau's not really moved by all of this. And the moment comes when the two brothers finally meet face to face. And Esau says to his brother, what was that? He goes, well, I've been blessed. And I just want to share some of my blessing with you. And his brother Esau responds to the younger brother. And he said, I have more than I need. I have all that I need. I just wanted to see you. And I love what Jacob said. When I saw your smiling face, it was like looking at the face of God. It was like seeing the face of God. How many of us have relational disputes where we're doing everything in our power to either avoid it or to appease it? And what we need to do is actually nurture healing and bring it back into play the right way. And I love how Jacob responds, and there's restitution and reconciliation in this. And God says, we have this power. It's in our hands that we can choose to bring a difference to our relationships. And so in our life dictionary, We need to be able to inspire vision. We need to be able to nurture healing. Here's a third one. Real quick, write this down. The next set of words we should all have, we need to have words that release blessing. Words that release blessing. I don't think we really know how to bless people. We know how to curse people. We're pretty good at that, wouldn't you admit? Yeah, when something's not right, we know how to complain. So we know how to call down curses, but we're not so good at blessing people. So when I was looking at the message and I was thinking, where is uncommon sense today. should be common. That's why we've called it uncommon. Where's uncommon sense? And I think it's found when we choose words all the time, regularly, that release blessings in others. Here's what it says in Proverbs 11, 11. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. That we can speak blessing and change the course of destiny. We can change someone. So think about this. You have the ability to speak blessing into another person's life. When's the last time we used that power? And how are we using that power today? Now, if you're a parent in the room, I I would venture to say, how many parents? Quick show of hands. Let me see. Hard question. This means you have children. Okay. 
just to clarify. All right, we're good. When you chose the name for your child or your children, did you give it some thought? Would you say yes? Anybody just wake up and go, what's the first name came to me? No, I didn't think so. Now, occasionally I see some in the media and I go, they just woke up and gave them that name. But most of us, I would say most of us were very intentional about the names that we chose for our children. I know my parents were very intentional about our names. Did you know what the name Douglas means? Seeker of light. They had no idea I'd be calling out a president in the middle of Bible school going, where are you going? But it means seeker of light. That's why I'm working on the seeker part. I'm not quite in the light. I'm still going. So it means seeker of light. When we named our son Kyle, we did the same thing. We were intentional. Did you know a name is really a blessing? The selection of a name is what you choose. Now, if you're in the room with your parents, you might want to turn to them and say, what were you thinking when you gave me my name? Because if it's not a blessing, you may want to call them out right now. But the giving of a name is the giving of a blessing because what you're really looking for, I want this name to define you. And I want you to live the fullness of this name. It's kind of cool when God brings us into his family. He said, I've given you a new name. Because now we have another name that defines us. And we are forgiven, and we are loved, and we are adopted. See, Paul writes about blessing. He writes to the Ephesians. He goes, just in case you don't think you've been blessed, he said, think about this. You've been forgiven. You've been chosen. You've been adopted. You've been loved. You've been reconciled. He lists all the blessings out that we have in Christ. They were spoken blessings. Paul could have thought about it and said, did you know you were blessed? But he didn't do it that way. He spoke it out. This is what I want all of us to catch. We have the power to speak blessing. Mom and dad, bless your kids in the right way, in a good way, in a positive way. Pray with them. Speak into their lives. We should be doing that in our growth groups together. We should be doing that in our church community. We should be doing that in our work relationships. Speaking and building up and edifying and lifting people up. Blessing will transform lives. Alexander III was Tsar of Russia from 1881 to 1884. His rule was marked by severe repression and in particular the persecution of the Jewish people. He was ruthless, and he would impose his judgments with no second thought. Now, his wife Maria, on the other hand, provided a stark contrast. She was known for her generosity, her compassion, and her kindness. History records that there was one occasion where a criminal was brought in before the czar, and when the czar issued his edict, he wrote it out, and this was the sentence that he gave, pardon impossible to be sent to Siberia. Can you imagine being the recipient of that statement right there? And so that's what the criminal got. When Maria heard about it, she happened to intercept the document before it was handed over to be executed. And she took the document and she made a slight alteration of the words. Here's what she put. Pardon, impossible to be sent to Siberia. Ooh, the power of punctuation. One mark moves across. You never realized how strong your words are. One word can actually bless another person beyond what you could ever imagine possible. That's why Peter said, people who want to live a full life and enjoy good days must keep their tongues from saying evil things and keep their lips from speaking deceitful things. Even Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, he had plenty of reasons that he could have cursed people. Think about the crowd, think about the guards, think about the people that betrayed him. There were those that betrayed him, those that abandoned him, those that accused him, those that condemned him, those that sentenced him, those that had beat him, those that had ridiculed him, those that had mocked him, and finally those that crucified him. 
And as his lifeblood is uh, ebbing out of his body, what does he do? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He chose to speak blessing over them because he realized they didn't even see the darkness of the deeds that they were involved in. This is the power of what it is to control your words and to speak blessing. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. That means we have control over these moments. Some of you are going to leave today and you're going to head out to the restaurant. And you're going to have somebody serve you and you have a moment right there that you can either ignore the person that just waited on your table and took care of you so you can enjoy your meal or you can bless them and thank them for getting up today and for taking a job that would make sure that you had the enjoyment of a great meal. Some of you are going to go to work tomorrow and you're going to dread the work because it's just routine and ordinary. Or you can walk into that office environment and you can choose to begin to speak blessing to your boss. You want to freak him out? Freak her out? Just start blessing him, her, in a nice way. And when I mean that, don't oh, let me bless you. No, I'm talking about, can I tell you how much I appreciate the leadership you give us here? And don't make stuff up, because then it's phony. Speak true blessing, true words, because the power of a transformed life is when we add to our vocabulary words that will release blessing. I love what David did with Solomon. Now, here's what I need you to listen carefully. Often when I talk about David or Solomon, we elevate them up to their kingly status, and we put them in these imperial roles. And so we think about them issuing sort of their civil responsibilities. Can I bring you back to a father and son? And I'm going to read something that a dad spoke to his son, and I want you to listen to the blessing that David spoke. And this is as David's getting close to the final days of his life. So David has his son there, Solomon, and he says this to Solomon. Solomon, I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, the commands, the regulations and laws that are written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. Wow. How many of us would love to have a mom or a dad or somebody that was our guardian speak blessing into our life with words like that where they believed in the best and they wanted us to have a successful, prosperous life. And we all together have the power to do that. And can I encourage you, don't wait for your deathbed. Speak it before you're in those final days. That's the gift that we've been given. So Solomon writes, and he goes, it's common sense, but it's become uncommon all around us. And your words can actually release blessing. So together, if we could do anything, I pray that these will become three sets of words that we add to our life dictionary. Jesus lived them, he modeled them, he taught them, and Solomon reminds us that we could all benefit from them. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, this morning... <clears throat> I'm so grateful for the truth of your word and its practical relevance to our lives. Often we forget some of the most simple things that we have the power over. So I pray for those that are listening to me today, whether in podcast, online, in the main rooms, wherever these words are being listened to, Holy Spirit, would you bring them back into our spirit and remind us that we carry within us 
this power to inspire vision in others, to nurture healing, to release blessing, that we as those who understand what it is to be forgiven by Christ and to be called into a new relationship with you and have our sins forgiven, we now have this ability to give this gift to others where they will experience the wonder of who you truly are and see the power released into their lives as well. May we steward it wisely and may we not be lazy in the use of our words, but may we be diligent and use them wisely every day. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now before you go, I want to do something for this room. If you're online, I want you to stay with me. If you're listening by podcast and you're in the car, remain seated. But for everybody else, would you stand to your feet this morning? So I want to bless you before you go. Because if we speak about it, we should do it. And I want you to receive a blessing. And so I looked at the Scripture and I wanted to know, what Scripture would I as your pastor want you to have that I would pray for you? So we pray for you all the time, but in a focused way, what are the words? And here they are today. So I'm going to pray this over you, and I want you just to receive this as a prayer of blessing from from our Father. So when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength through his Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able to who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.